in the event that you have a very important announcement to make, there are ways in which you can position yourself to make that announcement for maximum impact. For instance, if you have a friend and, and they have a birthday and you are wanting to maximize the announcement of their birthday for maximum embarrassment impact, you would probably choose to make your announcement at a place in a time where there are a lot of people in the cafeteria at lunchtime. There are ways in which you would position yourself, even within that room, to maximize the impact of your announcement. You might bang a, a fork on a plate, might stand up on a, on a chair. You would certainly clear your voice and speak very loudly and get everybody to join in together and sing happy birthday to your poor introverted friend and, and, and make their face turn all red and bring tears to their eyes. They might even rush out, have to go to the bathroom crying because they're so embarrassed that all of those sets of eyes are, are, are looking on them. There are ways in which you could get your point across. If you were the prophet in Old Testament biblical times, and you had a really important message to get across, there were ways in which you could position yourself to communicate that message most effectively to the people around you. In Jeremiah chapter 17, God has a message that he wants to get out to the people. And so God tells Jeremiah this, in Jeremiah 17, beginning in verse 19, Thus said the Lord to me, Go and stand in the people's gate by which the kings of Judah enter and by which they go out, and in all the gates of Jerusalem, and say, Hear the word of the Lord, you kings of Judah, and all Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem who enter by these gates. God's got something to say. God has something to say through Jeremiah to the people. And so God says, go and position yourself in a place where you can say it to him. And God tells Jeremiah to go to the gates. You see, in ancient cities, there were only certain places where you could come in and come out of the city. And, and, and so these, these thoroughfares, these were places of high traffic density, this would be like those uh, highways that we have that come off of airports in, in major cities. This would be the place where you start to see billboards when you get to major metropolitan areas. It might even be like the airport itself. I remember my wife and I, we flew into, into Phoenix last summer. And when we got into Phoenix, there were some announcements that Phoenix wanted to make specifically about how proud they were and how excited they were to be uh, hosting an upcoming basketball tournament, a Final Four. And so even back in, in May, when you enter the airport and when you go down the escalator to grab your bags and leave the airport, what you see across the entire wall was this grand announcement that the final four was coming and they were pumped. And so God says, Jeremiah, go to where the people are. Go to where the people come in and out. Go to this people's gate where the kings enter in and they go out. And then after you do that, go to all of the gates of Jerusalem because other people might be going in and out of, of other thoroughfares. There might be people who don't come in this particular gate, but that might find themselves at another gate and make sure you get the word out. And when you position yourself there, don't do it in, in a passive way. Don't just hold a sign that, that, says, that says, God says this. Don't approach people uh, one by one with, with, with a little pamphlet or in a whisper voice. 
But no, like, like cry out to them. Hear the word of the Lord, you kings of Judah and all of Judah and all of the inhabitants of Jerusalem who enter by these gates. Let people know that this is a word for every single one of you who can hear my voice. This message that Jeremiah had was an important message. And God told him to position himself in such a way that people could hear the message. What is this message? Well, let's look. Let's find out what this important message was. Verse 21, thus says the Lord, take care for the sake of your lives and do not bear a burden on the Sabbath day or bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem. And do not carry a burden out of your houses and on the Sabbath or do any work, but keep the Sabbath day holy as I commanded your fathers. Yet they did not listen or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck that they might not hear and receive instruction. But if you listen to me, declares the Lord, and bring in no burden by the gates of this city on the Sabbath day, but keep the Sabbath day holy and do no work on it. Then there shall enter by the gates of this city kings and princes who sit on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their officials, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And this city shall be inhabited forever. And people shall come from the cities of Judah and the places around Jerusalem, from the land of Benjamin, from the Shephelah and from the hill country and from the Negeb bringing burnt offerings and sacrifices, grain offerings and frankincense, and bringing thank offerings to the house of the Lord. But if you do not listen to me to keep the Sabbath day holy and not to bear a burden and enter by the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle a fire in its gates and it shall devour the places of Jerusalem and shall not be quenched. So a couple of things stand out to us here. Number one, the fact that God had asked his messenger to position himself in a way that could be heard for maximized impact is reflected by the language that the prophet actually uses once he has positioned himself. There is a lot of very powerful language there. There's a lot of very colorful language there. There's a lot of detail there. And Jeremiah is saying that the stakes here are very high. That's something that Jeremiah has been saying for a long time, that y'all aren't acting right, that you are not following God, that you are not worshiping God. You have to do this. You have to repent or else you will be overtaken and you will be overrun. But specifically what we also see here repeated over and over again is something that God wants the people to work on, something that God wants the people to focus on. And that is this notion, this practice of the Sabbath day. Now, I know that some of y'all have taken Old Testament class. And so you might be catching the spirit a little bit right now because you might be thinking as a college student, one of the things that I could do is Sabbath day. You might be thinking about the Sabbath day in terms of a day of rest and sitting on your laurels a little bit, thinking a little bit haughty, like, oh, yeah, man, Sabbath day, easiest commandment for me to obey. 
because I'm super good at resting. Like on Sundays, I make sure I don't get up till 11, 12 o'clock. I try not to overexert my brain muscles by studying. I just take the whole day off. It's just rest. I'm just glory be to God. I try not to exert myself by walking over to the cafeteria. I just eat Cool Ranch Doritos and microwave pizzas, drink Gatorade all day. It's great. It's restful. I don't wear out my, my, my legs to the unglory of God by going to chapel. I make sure that I don't get off my couch. I end the day with some Sunday night football and walking dead and go to bed early. I'm so rested. Sabbath, Sabbath, glory be to God. Well, here's the deal. We might need to talk about a little bit more robust definition of Sabbath if we have uh, diluted it down to just thinking that we don't do anything for a whole entire day. If we want to understand Sabbath, we got to go way back back, back in the time, all the way to the very beginning of scripture. There is this narrative of how God created the earth. And when God created the earth, there, there, there's nothing there. It's formless. It's void. God is hovering over the waters of the deep. And on the very first day of creation, God speaks. And with God's word, God creates out of nothing, this separation of night from day. And after God does that, God sits back, stunts a little bit, looks at his work. He says, that's good. That's good. And so then the next day rolls around and here's God. He separated the night from, from, from the day. And he's like, I got a little bit more work to do. And so God takes the, the, the land and he pulls it up out of the sea and he separates the, the, sorry, he separates the, the sky from the sea. So he takes the waters of the deep and the waters of the sky and he separates those things out. So God gets to the end of the second day, looks back, stunts a little bit. And what's God say? He says, it's good. It's good. It's still good. It was good yesterday. It's good again today. Then on the third day, God comes and pulls the land up out of the water. And God makes some things. He makes some places for things that may or may not come later. We'll see. Spoiler alert. They come later to walk around on. And God looks at this land that he has made. And he looks at all these plants that he has put on the land, the vegetation. And so God, God stands back a little bit and he looks at it. And what's God say on that day? He said, it's good. He said, it's good. Like God's on a roll here, man. God's three for three. And then we get to the fourth day and God really starts showing out. I mean, plants are cool. There are some very beautiful plants in the world. I appreciate light and I appreciate darkness for various reasons. Those are really neat things. The ocean is beautiful and wonderful. But then God starts, starts hitting them with the, the bam and the what, right? And God puts the sun in the sky. God puts the moon in the sky. God puts all of these, these stars in the sky, all of these things that are, that are creating light and they're burning and then they're moving uh, around and they're being suspended in the air. And it's so vast that even now we can't even comprehend how vast space is. I was trying to help my daughter with her science homework a few weeks ago, and they were studying the solar system. And she was trying to explain to me how many miles we are from like Venus and how many miles we are from, from Saturn and how long it would take us to get there. And the numbers were so exponential that I was like, this, this isn't even, even real. Like it might as well be a completely different language. God made all of that. And God sat back after he had hung all of those things. And what did God say? It's good. There is a theme here. And then finally, 
Now, God was shown out with the sun and moon and stars, but then God made something awesome, something amazing, something gorgeous, something glorious, something in God's own image. God made humanity, all right? God made, God made us. God made us. And he made us special, and he made us distinct from some of the other things that, 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 that he made on, 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 on that day, on the sixth day, after he'd already made all the other animals. At the end of day five, God says it's good. At the end of day six, God says it's good. And God gets to day seven, and God looks at everything, and it's so good. And what does God do? God rests. God rests. Because God has made this entire creation And not only has God made it, not only was it good, but it was so good that it brings glory to the name of God. And nobody could look at it and say anything other than the fact that there's a good and powerful God that created all of this. And so on that seventh day, when everything is complete, when everything is whole, God stops working and God rests. So then... After the people of of Israel are released by God from their slavery in Egypt, um, when God gives them commandments on how to orient themselves as people whose lives are about worship to God, the fifth commandment that God gives people is this commandment to have the Sabbath day. God says in Exodus chapter 20, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day, is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant, not your female servant, not your livestock, not any sojourner within your gates. For in six days God made heaven and earth, the sea, all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And there are two parts to this commandment. There's that negative part, right? Where we say we are not going to, to, to work on the Sabbath day because God did not work on the seventh day. God rested. But then there's also this positive part where God says that not only did God not work, but God set it apart and made it holy. God set it apart for for a purpose. That purpose is the same purpose by which God created the earth to bring glory to the name of God. That purpose is the same purpose by which God has redeemed our lives to bring glory to the name of God. That purpose is the same purpose by which God calls us and and, and, and was calling the people of Israel and Judah to, to, to repentance, that they may reclaim their mantle and and their title and their duty to bring glory to the name of God. God set this day apart for a a purpose, for a reason, not just that we could rest and and be slothful. Certainly there's something beautiful and wonderful and and rejuvenating and life-giving about rest that God knows that we need, but at the same time, that day was set apart that we could worship the God who created all of these things. So that when God gave these 10 commandments so that they could worship the God who had given them their liberation, who had set them free so that they could remember that there was a day, there was a day when they did not have a choice, when they had to work every day for as long as their masters said they had to work, but God freed them. So God said, I set this Sabbath day apart so you can remember my work and you can worship me. There is something powerful in both the rest 
that God calls us to, to engage in on the Sabbath day, as well as the worship that God calls us to engage in on the Sabbath day. And so going back to our friend Jeremiah, why was this the message? Why was this the message that God wanted amplified so loudly and so completely here at all of these gates? I think there are a couple of reasons. Um, Number one, when we look at, at the Sabbath day and we look at what it means, I think there is, number one, a barometer of the uh, importance of God in our lives. Number one, it is a barometer of, of the trust that we are putting in God and also the, a barometer of, of, of the stewardship of our time, right? Because certainly our days get filled and there's always something more to be done. And it is a a measure of faith for us to say, today I am not going to, to do. It is a measure of faithfulness to say, today I'm going to be about something that is not of myself, but I'm going to be about something that is for God. That is the worship of God. It is a measure of faith for us to stop for a moment and to breathe and to listen and to study and to pray. It is an act of worship for us to rest and to sing and, and, and to learn. Um, also, I, I think there is a growth that happens. There is an expanse in our capacity, in our understanding to know who God is to discern and and to figure out what God is calling us to do both in the short term and in the long term in our lives by setting apart this time for us to be with each other well, to be quiet before God, to be in the assembly of of believers. That is a way for us to, to grow and to be and to learn and to be transformed. It is a way for us to have space in our week to reflect on what we've been and what we've done, but, but, but more than that, who God is and what God has done, and then to anticipate what God might be wanting us to do in the days ahead. And I think for Jeremiah and these people that had been doing so many things that were outside of the will of God, one of the reasons that this, this Sabbath day was so important and a message that needed to be broadcast was because God was saying, look, recalibrate yourselves. Recalibrate the way that you use your bodies, recalibrate your time, recalibrate uh, your, your hustle, right? The way that you use your money, recalibrate your cultural distinctives. When the world is swirling around you, you stop. And the reason that you stop and the world does not stop is because they are worshiping all of these other things and you are worshiping the one true God. And people will see that they are, that you are different. And they'll want to know what is the impetus of this difference. I find this notion of gates to be very interesting and to really speak to the realities of what God is calling us away from and what God is calling us to during our Sabbath times and during our Sabbath days. There's some ambiguity um, about verse 19 and in, in what uh, the, the actual location of the people's gate Historians have looked and, and, and the rabbis have talked about it. And for centuries and centuries and centuries, there is literally no consensus about what this people's gate is. 
But what we, how we see it explained by Jeremiah is that it is a gate of influence and a gate of power. It is a gate by which the people who are powerful, the kings of Judah, by which they go in and they go out. And then Jeremiah also expands that out to say, go to all of the other gates. And when we think of the things that come in and out of gates of a city, those are people who are bringing their wares. Those are people who are bringing their crafts. Those are people who are bringing the, the, the food that they have tilled from the land. Those are people who are bringing the animals that they have cultivated, that they have farmed, that they have ranched. Those are people who are taking money out of the, the, the city. These are highways and byways of commerce. And, and so God is saying, and Jeremiah is saying here, that, that, that put a pause on your pursuit of power. Put a pause for, for a day on your ambition. Stop running in and out and through all of these gates. Put a pause on trying to get that next buck and just sit in the presence of God. Speaking of the presence of God, the other thing that you would think of if you were to just be a Jewish person and you were told to go sit at the gates, you might think of the gates of the city, but you also might think of the gates of the temple. And so turning our attention from the way, from, from all of the ways and all of the things that happen at the gates of the city, as we go in and out of those things, proverbially with our lives and, and literally for the Jewish people, what they were called to was instead to go in and out of the gates of the temple, to go into the, to that place where they could worship God, where, where, where they could gather together and hear the word of God to, to pray the Psalms together to receive teaching, to be with each other, to offer up their sacrifices. It was a change in their rhythms. It was a change in, in their day. And it was a marker of their priorities. That we don't completely forsake everything that happens at the gates of the city. But for one day, for, for one day, we put that away. And what we do is we go to the gates of the temple and we go to worship at the throne of the Lord, our God. And so if that is going to be one of the most important distinctions, one of the most important markers of a society, of, of, of a people, of a group who are being faithful to what God has called them to, what does that mean for us? Because I get it, man. Like this world does not stop anymore. The world of the Bible, the world of the Bible tended to stop a little bit more, right? Because they didn't have access to things like we have access to. They didn't have light 24 hours a day. They didn't have marketplaces that were open 24 hours a day. Their schedules weren't on top of each other all of the time. They didn't have a constant uh, uh, flow, stream, access to entertainment all of the time. When we, we look at our days, when we look at our weeks, we might think it's hard for me to just shut it down for 24 hours. I get that. Look, I work on, on Sunday nights, right? And so for me to think about traditionally what a Christian Sabbath is, that requires some accommodation. My wife works 72-hour shifts once a month on, on the weekends for our family. This notion of, of Sabbath requires some accommodation. But it also, if we're going to be faithful to it, accommodation also means intentionality and prioritization with the time that we have and the time that God gives us. 
And so when I think about us in college and, 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 and especially college students, I think about how we can steward our time to put away other things and to put away other distractions and to even sometimes put away things that are valuable so that for large block period of time together, we can pursue God. There's this Jewish saying that um, Sabbath is an island of holiness in time. Sabbath is an island of holiness in time. And I like that saying because um, of the appearance and the reality of it. When we think of an island, we think of land that is surrounded by, by water. And we think of Sabbath, I think sometimes we think of like, okay, Sunday, like Sunday is my day and it's, it's set apart and it's cut off from everything else. And while that's true in appearance, the reality is that there's kind of a, a, a ramping up and a ramping in to Sabbath, right? And so you think about an island, if you look at it from, from, from above, you look at it and it looks like it's just this, this, this shape, like perhaps a cylinder or, or a rectangle that just goes straight down, down all the way to the core of the earth. But what we know is that as, as the waves come up, they come up gradually upon an incline, right? Upon the shore. And that sometimes those waves creep up farther. Sometimes they, they, they creep back a, a little bit. And we know that the way that the, that the lands are right now, that those islands are almost like, like mountains that peak. And they finally, at the end of the, at the, end of the, the day and at the end of the water, they, they come up out and they show themselves. And so for us, the question then becomes, how would having a weekly Sabbath affect the rest of the rhythms of our lives. Like if Sunday is going to be our Sabbath, and if, if we as college students are going to be, you know, like giving that great sacrifice to wake up by like 10 o'clock, you know, to actually go to church and worship. I know that's hard, people. And, and as someone whose kids wake um, him up every day at six o'clock, I have uh, so much sympathy for you. Like uh, in the words of the great prophet, Justin Timberlake, cry me a river. Uh, 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 uh. Um, how would it affect if we were to, to, to have Sabbath as, as something that we were going to emphasize, how would that affect our Saturday nights, right? How would that affect the way that we spend our time the rest of the weekend? Would we perhaps order it, structure it, steward it a little bit better as we ramp up into this opportunity to encounter God with the community of believers together on Sunday? And if our Sunday mornings are ordered around this worship and our Sunday afternoons are ordered around this rest, then what are the, the really practical and spiritual effects for the rest of our week? Maybe instead of walking around Mondays kind of dragging and, and with this fogginess of mind and feeling like we need a, a weekend to recover from the weekend, maybe that allows us to steward the time that we have together, especially Monday mornings in classes a little bit better because our minds and our spirits are sharper and we're more engaged. And maybe throughout the weekend and throughout the week that allows us to be more interpersonally engaged with each other and, and we can have deeper and more real conversations with each other just as in, in worship and in rest, we have had deeper and more real conversations with God. Maybe we establish this rhythm to our life where we say no to some things, even some good things, so that we can say yes to the best thing, and that is God. And maybe that hastens and quickens the transformation of our lives and of our spirit. And maybe it gives us space in our week for all of those things that when you're a young adult seem so confusing and so overwhelming 
and so cloudy and so unknown. Maybe it is in that space and in those moments that God begins to give us clarity for what God wants from us, who God wants us to be, and how God wants us to encounter the world around us. My encouragement for us, my application for all of us, is that we could take heed to this important word of the prophet, a a word that God wanted amplified. We could look at our lives and discipline ourselves in mind and body and spirit to spend dedicated time focusing on God and resting in him. As we have a few more minutes to rest in God this morning, um, I'm going to pray and, and, and we're going to sing a little bit. And um, as we do that, you know, if, if uh, singing isn't your thing or you're just not there right now and you want to think you're going to process this, that's fine. But I would also say if there are concrete steps that you are wanting to take to Sabbath, don't leave this space without sharing those ideas or that calling with someone else, right? Because I think what could happen is in this moment, we could feel like, yes, I need to do that. And Sunday feels like a long ways away right now. And so then we get, and it's still the race. And we still just run the race the same way that we've always run it. I think what we might need, if we're talking about a change, a countercultural change that affects the way we live our lives, maybe we need a little help with that. And so as we sing this last song, if you're thinking about that, if you're praying about that, if you're feeling a call on God in your life to reorient your time a little bit, make sure before you leave this place that you share that with somebody so we can help each other out on this journey. God, we thank you for this day, and we thank you that we do um, go to school and, and work in a place that prioritizes worshiping you and resting in you. And we know, God, that there's always something to do. But help us, God, to know in this moment that while there's always something to do, you are the thing that is to be focused on. Help us to uh, love you well. Help us to be with each other well. And help us to take these words, these encouragements, these precepts that you have given us so many thousands of years ago. And to not hear them for legalism or rules, but to see them as a way of orienting our experience so that we can be more faithful followers of you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.